Today's guest is an Irish fibersmith based in Limerick City in the Republic of Ireland. She went to art college to study printmaking, but her path took a turn and led her into the world of bookbinding. A few years later, she picked up knitting needles and the art of knitting and started traveling around the world. It was on her trip to Australia that she learned to spin, was gifted a spinning wheel, which she shipped back to Ireland, packed in fleece, of course, and upon arriving back in Ireland, she joined the Irish Guild of Weavers, Spinners, and Dyers, and took her first rigid heddle weaving class with master weaver Mara Nee Nocton. With that, she plunged into the rich history of the Irish cottage industry of spinning and weaving, and is continuing the tradition by making wearable clothes from the cloth she weaves on her rigid heddle loom. Now, not content to keep the fiber goodness all to herself, she is sharing the love of fiber creation with others through crafting retreats and classes. You can find her all around the internet as Vanna Wilmiel on Instagram and YouTube, and you can learn more about her retreats and classes by visiting her website, babblestravelingyarns.com. I am so excited to welcome Grace O'Neill to the podcast. Grace, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. Thank you so much, Amy, for approaching me uh, for this uh, podcast. It's really exciting to have someone else want to hear me talking on their podcast. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Well, Grace, first off, before we go any further, I need you, I want you to give us the your Instagram and your YouTube or tell me tell us the best way to find you because um, yes those are you have so much going on there and I know that our listeners are going to want to see what you're doing so say that for me please so yeah it's a funny <laughs> it's a funny Instagram name and it's kind of hard to pronounce but it's Vanna Willemiel and often I find if you type in V-A-N-A and then you'll see my silly face <laughs> And then my YouTube channel is under the name actually Grace O'Neill. But if you search for Babbles Traveling Yarns podcast, you will be able to find it that will pop up there. Perfect. Perfect. So now let's let's go back a little bit. You have done a lot of different things. You you started out with printing and, and book binding um, and then you got into the fiber arts. So I just want to step back. And oh, well, first, then you didn't. Um, you did your knitting and such like that. So, what was it about the fiber arts that drew you in? I guess first with knitting, and then how did you get on your journey to where you are today? Yeah, it's a bit of a roundabout route, to be honest, Amy. Like, <clears throat> first off, I went to art college when I was 18, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew I was good at drawing because an art teacher told me once. So I went in there and then I just kind of, I got really interested in like line drawing and kind of the, um, I, I got pulled into repetitive printing. So things that are over and over and over again, I really found it really relaxing and satisfying. And then the craft aspect of it, working with the machinery, that was really, really nice. But one thing that always kind of, I wasn't quite ready yet for was color. I was very black and white. I was very high contrast. And actually in my final ter- in my final year projects, I was mainly dealing with white, complete white. So I would 
um, create these landscapes out of paperscapes. So I would layer, layer and layer upon layer upon layer. I would create structures, create um, kind of 3D maps using contouring and paper. And it was, I, I was obsessed with it. I loved, I loved the texture. I loved the process of doing the same thing over and over again. And then in my fourth year, that led on then to book bookbinding, to the craft of that, to all the tools involved, just all that sort of tactile nature. And then um, actually, <laughs> there was a big gap then <laughs> of my creativity. Um, there was a, a huge recession in Ireland, actually all around the world, of course, around 2008, 2009, when I left our college. And I went straight into another degree over in Edinburgh in Scotland. And I trained to be a diagnostic radiographer, which is a completely different field. <laughs> it's um, very different, but it is still imaging. It is still creating images and, you know, working with people, communicating. And there's always a job in it. So that's good. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So... <clears throat> For my first job, I was doing a lot of on-call work. I was trying to save up a lot of money. And it was my first time working in like a, a department, kind of, there was about 60 or 70 radiographers in this department. It was a big hospital. And every woman seemed to get pregnant all at the same time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, so I had suddenly found myself for the first time in eight years, because I was a student for eight years, with a bit of disposable income and I was able to buy wool and needles and pick because I my partner at the time he was living in London I was living in Exeter so there was these long train journeys four hours either way that we would go every weekend so I started picking up um, wool and needles and I would just knit and knit and knit and just knit random things it wasn't even particular like a scar it was like a, I was just I just love the process of it. I love the repetitive nature, the, you know, the slow building, just really satisfying stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of where I started the knitting. Um, it was just kind of filling time in between things, but then also I was drawn back to that sort of meditative state of, of creating and crafting and the materials. Um, then I started finding, I found podcasts, I found actually my friend who I knew from before, actually back when I was in art college, um, she'd started this podcast called the Knitting Expat Podcast. Um, mm. Mina, Mina Phillip, if you know her, she's a, she's a prolific designer and knitwear designer now, but we both kind of started out, she probably started her knitting journey a year or two before me and I was just following her on Facebook and I was like, what is she, what is she on about? <laughs> I didn't get it at all. Sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I watched her because I wanted, she was living in Bahrain at the time. And it was just really interesting, her life. And she had two gorgeous cats. So, and then I just got absolutely hooked. I went down the rabbit hole. I made a load of crochet blankets for all the pregnant people in my department. And, um, yeah, I just got really interested in yarn, in fibre, and I started to kind of delve into the, the you know, what the fibre's made of, you know, what type of wool it is. Is it wool at all? Is it acrylic? Is it bamboo? Is it all these different types of things? And um, I kind of started to work with, um, I started really getting into colour. It started being something that was actually 
very interesting to me and it was something I was always scared of in art college a little bit. I didn't really, I was terrible at painting, couldn't manage the colours, couldn't manage the colour blending, but colour with knitting was different. It was like more controlled, it had that nice high contrast that I liked, but then it also turned into something incredibly useful and I think I'm a very practically minded person. I, I love being able to use the thing I, things I create. So kind of combining the creativity with fiber related crafts and being able to use it in every day, even put it on my body and make myself feel comfortable, make myself feel colorful, make myself feel fabulous really. <laughs> it was really freeing. So then I, I was working for a couple of years in Exeter as a radiographer and I decided I, was, I really wanted to go traveling um, abroad. So Australia was my end goal. And I picked up needles and I started knitting socks and more kind of delicate things. And when I was in Australia for about a year, I was introduced to the fiber kind of spinning world. I was introduced to, I got my first spindle when I had three fleeces land on my doorstop on my doorstep from a friend of mine I was with a knitting group and her partner or one of her flatmates owned a farm in Victoria and they were all merino fleeces so she said oh I've got gorgeous fleeces I can get for you and I was like what is that merino that sounds fancy <laughs> so they dropped it on my doorstep and one honestly one bag was uh, white one bag was grey and one bag was black so I had like three bags full of fleece. Oh, wow. Just like the poem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with it. So I had to learn from scratch. And you know what? Learning on a, a merino fleece is not a great idea. <laughs> it's so fine. It, it felt it like when I looked at it, it was absolutely a nightmare to clean and Anyway, we did it. We did it. Myself and my partner, we did it. <laughs> and um, I started learning how to spin on a little spindle that I bought from um, Ashford in New Zealand because they're just, they're just like, it was really close. Yeah. And um, then I was, so I started filming the podcast when I was in Australia, mainly because I was interested in kind of talking about traveling while crafting and mm. sort of you know a lot of people had stashes and a lot of people had rooms and equipment and I had my bag pack really I, I had everything was extremely minimalist and that I found that that might be an interesting kind of um, an interesting thing that was a little bit different you know from all the other podcasts that were out there and I think I was right at the time <laughs> and it was also interesting because I could take people with me to different places I was going. I went to Tasmania, I went to um, um, Perth, I went to Sydney, we were traveling around down from Cairns in Queensland all the way down to Melbourne and yeah it was so much fun and, and then I was crafting and, and knitting, mostly knitting now on the way down because it was handy to to use you know it was very portable and very you know easy to squash into a bag but then when someone contacted me and said so I have a spinning wheel and I'd love to give it to you <laughs> right you're like of course <laughs> yeah I'm gonna take that opportunity absolutely but there goes my lovely minimalist lifestyle <laughs> seriously you can't really 
<laughs> be a minimalist with a spinning wheel on your back. Um, but by that stage, we had actually decided to move back to Ireland and kind of put down a few more kind of solid roots. So I shifted back to Ireland, skipped out a few customs steps. I'm sure I did, but anyway. <laughs> and um, it made it. that's the important part. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I managed to get her back. I took her all apart. I took her apart. Rosie was my name of my spinning wheel. I took her apart and I stuffed fleece and all of the stash that I'd gathered around her and wrapped up this box. And it arrived, but it arrived with like half of the box broken, but oh nothing my. was missing from it. It was a miracle. I have no idea how I managed to survive all the way, but with a broken box. But anyway, it's she's downstairs. She is all safe and she's happy. And she spun me a lot of miles on that, uh, on her, all of her bobbins. And um, so that was kind of my first introduction to a guild as well, because I really didn't have a clue about anything I didn't have access to equipment I didn't really have you know that sort of background but luckily I was in Sydney um, and they have quite a big and active guild and the the demographics is generally a little bit of an older older uh, demographics than I am I'm I'm 32 now um, so they were really excited to see me coming <laughs> <laughs> new fresh blood I think um, but I managed to try out loads of different um, types of equipment loads of different blending boards now they did have a lot of weaving stuff but I was like oh no 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 can't 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 take a loom back to Ireland I <laughs> can't be doing that that's madness um, never say never never so say never and exactly and it's so funny because I was like no 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 not interested in weaving no that's too many things I can't do this as well there's literally I think I arrived back in Ireland on in March in 2017 or 18 I can't even remember 2017 I think and um I um I I got involved with the guild a little bit. I went to a couple of their events uh, over the summer and then I signed up for a rigid heddle weaving class hmm. in December of that year when I got back and I rented the loom and literally by the next day I had actually ordered a loom. I ordered an Ashford 16 inch rigid heddle loom, um, one of the sample it looms. Mm -hmm. um, because the guild itself, the Irish guild has about eight of the 10 inch ones, you know, they're really kind of cute. So, so I got my first loom and that was the 16 inch rigid heddle loom. And I bought that from the UK and it was so amazing to me how much, how fast it went first off, mm -hmm. how not scary it was because I originally thought oh no I'm gonna have to warp it up it's so confusing it's so complicated looking how am I gonna get all these strands in the right place what about the tension and once I did that class it just totally just wiped away all fear and I realized how easy it was really it's so easy and satisfying and fast <laughs> and you could get through a lot of yarn but also make a lot of yardage and I think that's so I wasn't super exactly. yeah 
I wasn't super interested in making kind of tapestry weaving type of things. I wanted, because I, I was really interested in practical kind of, I don't know, clothing, I suppose. I And like, I've never really been interested in making toys or kind of small little things. I always wanted to make like jumpers. Like the first thing I made when I got, I made two, three pairs of socks when I was traveling around Southeast Asia. And then I got to Australia and I made a jumper. <laughs> I was like, no and fear, for, throw myself in, you know. Um, now for those of us on the other side of the, of oh, the pond, a jumper is a sweater, yes, right? It is. It's not a dress or a pinafore. It is a pullover. So it's not like a cardigan. It's one that you pull over your head. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Keep going. <laughs> okay, cool. Very important to make that distinction. Um, so, yeah, I really wanted to make clothing. I kind of wanted to push past another step and move a little bit farther down the line into making my own clothes. I kind of, I was always really interested in, um, I suppose, simplicity, um, where things come from. I did an entire, before I went traveling, I did an entire year of trying to live plastic free. And then I went traveling and I scuppered it all up, <laughs> messed it up. But that sort of learning how cloth is made and truly understanding the value of resources. And yeah, so I started making clothes. Uh, and by clothes, I meant like really simple like everything was everything was rectangles. I was terrified to cut patterns into the yarn, the fabric that I'd made, that I'd woven. And then of course I had to go down the even more complicated route and spin the yarn that I was then weaving, which then makes it even more precious, which means that- Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we do this, we're mad, but we love it. <laughs> Yes, it's all about exactly, the process. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's all about, I think it's where it all came from, really, with me. Now that I'm talking to you about it, actually, it's probably the first time I've thought about it properly. <laughs> wow. But since coming from art college and, and that process, that text, that tactile, repetitive, satisfying creation, and knowing that it's not actually that hard once you know how to do it once you have like that's why i think the internet is so valuable for crafting and for creating because the possibilities are limitless you can find the people who know so easily if you know what to look for you know like exactly the classes that you're running are very interesting and the, i've started teaching as well a little bit and I'm loving passing on that information and being able to do that and kind of seeing that light in their eyes when they realize, ah, I've got it. Like, it's not that hard. Exactly. And, and I'm sure you're realizing the more you're teaching that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the master weaver like the lady who taught you to really take someone far. Like the lady that taught me, Moira, Moira Ninocton, she studied in um, Dublin School of Art. So the NCAD, it's the big art college in uh, the university in, in Dublin. And she learned on the weaving course there. But like she loves the fact that I'm passing it on, uh, even though like I'd, I haven't done like a degree or whatever like she has. But she just loves the fact that we're able like it's it's 
most of it is quite reasonable stuff and being able to pass it on is really democratizing the the skill and kind of taking away that fear a little bit about new things and i love what you're the direction that you're taking at the moment amy that that direction that perfection isn't is like <laughs> not the goal it's you know making an effort you are better than you were yesterday if you keep trying and i love that you know small steps nobody's a perfect nobody knows everything but everybody knows something and being able to develop that is really great yeah i think that what i don't know i mean and i think you probably know it better than i do because i'm pretty much self-taught i mean i learned through books and through YouTube and everything like that. I've never had the opportunity to actually do what I'm doing, which is sit with someone else who knows more um, in, in real time and, and learn. Um, I think that that's a, it could be a hindrance, but maybe it's a blessing because I guess I don't have any external pressures because I know what is as much or feeling like, okay, I have to live up to this expectation because I don't really have anyone, which, you know, I would love to be able to, um, to learn from from a guild or to go to a guild but the closest guild to me is like two hours away but you tell you can tell me better than um because you you know both is it most of the it, it seems to me from what i've seen is that most of the weaving guilds they take it very very seriously and it's more technical and very um precise kind of um kind of like knitting i think in and Whereas I think that um, for a lot of people that can be a little bit overwhelming. Is am I right, or is, are there are the guilds somewhat laid back? I was I was thinking that it could be a little bit more precise and a little bit more technical because a lot of the people who are in there have been doing it for a long time and they are really good at their craft and they have higher expectations for themselves, which can bleed over even if they're not trying to put them on others. But you tell me what your experience has been. So I totally get where you're coming from. I totally do. Like when I joined the guild in Sydney, it's a completely different guild to the guild in, in Dublin, you know, like <clears throat> a lot of the historically the guilds, these weaving guilds have come from industrial guilds. Like so you'd be having industrial workers who are learning the trade and going into factories and making, you know, that sort of thing. So these would be like high end commercial guilds. But as kind of weaving has become automated, these sort of, uh, you know, weaving, spinning, all that has become automated. Those, uh, the, the, the kind of in industry and the structures have kind of lost a little bit. So our, our modern guild in Ireland is completely different. It's mostly craft based. It's mostly um, teaching and, and uh, passing on and promoting other weavers. And there are some weavers who are incredibly specific, like that's their job. They, you know, they have have this high level of technical skill but most of the guild members that that I know I'm on the committee at the moment and the guild goes where the committee goes so at the moment it's mostly hobbyists it's very relaxed it's very chill we're really into demonstrating we're teaching a couple of classes here and there we're organizing some teachers to come across to teach different types of weaving but every guild is different because every guild is made of 
committee members and every individual person is it has different interests so it depends on what 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 type of guild you're you're in um i think sometimes probably they might feel you, you know you don't know you don't know what your local guild is like until you actually go and see and there might be kind of you know very technical very advanced you know weavers who are doing it for their job and it's all of that but you also might have the other side, which is the kind of the hobbyist, the craft, the person who's just interested and they just want to learn. Like I find myself, I'm a skill gatherer. I love knowing how things are done and then applying them however, you know, however, however I want, really. So I think that it's very interesting the way that you say you're a self-taught weaver. I find that you might have a very good advantage because you don't have the certain rules and regulations that other, you know, uh, kind of commercial, not commercial, but like taught, you know, honest to God, sat down and taught teachers, uh, you know, students might have, you know, they, there's, there's <laughs> sometimes you'll have, I, I, this is in everything, I suppose, you'll have people who say that's the wrong way to knit, you're knitting continental or you're knitting English or you're knitting, you're knitting the wrong way. And I think <laughs> knowing that there's no such thing as a wrong way is actually really freeing and fascinating, really, because you could come across a problem that some people have have been taught Oh, that's oh, I've made a mistake. I have to start all over again. But you might say, oh, I don't I don't know if this is a problem. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to go. And you might come up with a creative way of fixing it. That someone who's been who's been taught, oh, no, this is incorrect. You've done this wrong. You know, so there's an advantage to being self-taught, I think. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. I, I'm, I don't I don't begrudge it. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And I think that you're right. Like, I've never okay that's not true I may have ripped maybe 20 inches of weaving in the last year that I've been weaving and I've woven yards and yards and yards of stuff <laughs> I don't I don't rip anything because I'm like ooh, that's interesting or if I don't like it, I'm like okay well I remember how I was feeling when I wove that you know I'll remember that but um but no I love that so what have you found as you're beginning to teach people and you're getting out into the community, what has been the reaction of people as they are getting the opportunity to weave? And, and um, follow up to that, do you just use rigid heddle looms or are you um, using some of the other type of, of looms that you can get from your guild? So at the moment, I only have rigid heddle looms because that's all I that's all I've had time to learn. We have one only one other loom, which is a four shaft kind of uh, table loom. And I really do want to get my hands on it. But I feel like I need to give myself a little bit of time to properly use that one. So at the moment, I am kind of focusing on rigid heddle, mainly because it's portability and kind of tidiness in my house. The house is only so big. <laughs> um, but your other question, how are people responding to teaching? It's fascinating. A lot of people that I've taught have said that um, they are really interested in weaving because it's something that they used to do or their their parents used to do or their grandparents used to do. 
and they want to keep alive that uh, tradition. Um, in Ireland, weaving was actually a huge industry for a long time. We had some of the highest technical specifications of uh, fiber of um, woven um, fabrics. Uh, linen was a big thing up in uh, the north, and also uh, over the west, it was a lot of wool from the sheep, and we had really, really high quality. Um, weaving, but things have kind of gone down a little bit in the the Irish government is focused on like the food sector as opposed to the fabric sector. So kind of the skills have been lost a little bit. So when I'm coming around and and people are weaving, they're just mesmerized by it. They're 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 getting these sort of I don't know whether it's an archetypal memory or something that just, just they're just hooked by it and the same thing with spinning wheels because the two were intrinsically linked in Ireland you'd have your mother um spinning by the fire and then selling the your the yarn that was spun at the end of the week to the weaver in the next house over then or then or in the village and that could have been your grandfather and they would be clicking and clacking away weaving in their house in their shed you know it's that sort of historic memory which has um which has people hooked i think like i was at the tullamore show which is a big farming event and I was I had a sample loom and I was weaving with it and I would actually get people down and just show them how to do it. And it was impossible to get them off it. It was just this kind of <laughs> mesmerizing feeling. And I think people just love that, that feeling of memory, I think. That is so wild. I, I I can I I totally can see what you're what you're doing. Um, or, or I can resonate with what you're talking about, because when I've you know, had my looms out, it's the same thing. It's like people get started and it's like they don't want to stop. It's like they're, 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 they're touched, they're reaching into something that they didn't even know that they enjoy doing. It's so interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm from what you're saying, weaving isn't so far removed from culturally, I guess, here in, in the States, we did, or and the states in my, where I live here in North Carolina, there is a tradition of textiles um, where I live, but it was manufacturing. I guess we'd have to go way, way back um, to have you know people actually spinning. But from what you're saying is is that it's not so far back that you have to go. Like maybe great grandmother or so that was actually still spinning or or doing. Um, weaving and such like that absolutely in ireland it's actually um it's it, it would still have been very common to be weaving in the 19 to be spinning have a spinning wheel in the family in the 1950s or 60s even um irish kind of culture or I, the irish economy was very very poor uh from when the country started in the 1920s like we became an independent country back then and um we really didn't start coming out of that and and becoming the economic um uh, i suppose strength that we are now until the 19 oh 1990s i think 1980s 1990s people were still leaving in droves in the 1980s and you would have still had a lot of there's a fabulous actually there's a fabulous tv program i'll give you the 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 link to it just so people can go and see but it's it's called hands and it's a documentation uh it's a documentary series 
of the old ways of Ireland in the 1970s and 80s. And it was filmed in the 1970s and 80s. And this was a kind of subsistence style living. And they had a whole, they had a whole um, series on loads of different types of Irish life. But one of them was a spinning wheel maker uh, from the from the Shields family. And they're still making spinning wheels up in, up in Dublin, or up in uh, Donegal, sorry. And then there is also a family of three brothers who have who were weaving so one of the brothers was um kind of he was like making all the food and doing all the housework and then he'd have the two other brothers who were weaving and it's it's fascinating and then they had a whole other series about the spinning wheels and the women and they used to go around to all the different regions of ireland and this was only in the 60s and or in the 60s and 70s so it really isn't that far away but i think sometimes that can be a little bit of a a barrier because there's still that very clear memory of when Ireland was incredibly poor and we didn't have luxury items we you know everything was very hand-to-mouth and weaving hand weaving hand spinning was seen as poverty it was seen as um, you know if you had a hand-knit jumper going to school that meant you couldn't buy a jumper you know, so or a sweater, a pullover, like we spoke before. So that sort of subsistence living is still very close in our memory and our cultural memory. So uh, there is that that little barrier, I think, to people wanting to go back to that, to learn, to relearn these skills. But then I think we are coming over that and realizing that as as the country advances, as the country develops as the country grows, forgetting these memories, these skills is uh, is a real tragedy because we were one of the the best in the world at the time, uh, just by necessity, really. Wow! Wow! That is that's it's amazing. I mean, it's beautiful and and kind of sad, but it's 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 amazing that you all have such a rich history. But it's it's sad that you know something that that is that is amazing was looked down upon and and I'm guessing that in some people's mind you know as nostalgic as it is it kind of they don't want to do it because like you said it was it was looked upon I guess it's kind of like in some countries that used to be vegetarian or more plant-based that when they achieved a level of um you know um Yes, exactly. Thank you. That they start to eat more and more meat, you know, and I'm not going to tell anybody that you don't have to, you know, you, you can't eat meat or whatnot. But, you know, everybody knows that you probably shouldn't eat a ton of it. It's not that great um, to eat a whole lot of it. But still, you know, that was... Um, so you try was, telling someone who hasn't been able to eat meat that it's bad for them to eat meat. Like, that's just totally not fair, is it? You exactly. Know? And then exactly. you get to the point where a lot of kind of, um, you know, the first, the more developed worlds or more luxury <laughs> worlds. And then we're turning around and, and deciding to go plant-based or vegan for the environment. But we have the luxury to be able to do that. So exactly. it's, it's that step forward, that step over, you know, like, so like it was only maybe 20 years ago when 
we first started getting like fast fashion, I suppose, in Ireland. I'm sure it was there. I'm sure it's around the same time for everyone. Maybe, I don't know. We're about 10 years behind everyone else. <laughs> but um, I remember my mother used to make everything, used to make all of our clothes. She's a fabulous seamstress. She used to make all of our uniforms and all of our, um, just all of our dresses and everything. And um, then we, 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 this shop called Penny's opened up in Ireland and it's not like JCPenney's in the States it's uh, it's more like I suppose H&M or um, I'm not sure maybe Target you know the clothing section in yeah Target? it's like a lower cost um, exactly things that you can get nice things yeah, yeah. really mm -hmm. really cheap clothes that are made mm -hmm. Cambodia Bangladesh all these mm -hmm. other countries where you know lives are lives are cheap and um, you know, but th that that was revolutionary to someone like my mother who couldn't keep us in clothes because we kept growing. <laughs> so exactly. to be able to afford to put clothes on our backs and nice clothes that were loads of different colors, you know, and, and there, that's that happened everywhere. I'm sure that this luxury of being able to afford loads of clothes was wonderful. And then the fast fashion kind of chaos that's happening right now with the sheer abundance of it mm -hmm. now we're moving back into that okay now we can afford to buy better quality clothes that last longer but also like i'm not growing anymore <laughs> so you know exactly it's, it's tricky when you're when you have young kids you know you just do what you can to survive i guess no i mean that makes so much sense it's kind of like and we can hope like and I, I kind of encourage myself, and I'm sure maybe you do too, that as you're teaching more people how to weave and like the, the way that you are doing it, you're not so much doing it for art as much as for practicality. I mean, if you weave yourself something um, and it comes out nice, you're not going to throw that away. You know, you're, you're, you may or may not give it away, you know, but it's, it's exactly. And, and I think that the more, and for those who maybe don't want to make their own clothes from scratch or don't have the ability to like go from, you know, fiber to cloth, um, everybody can't do that, but it's still super cool when you can. The more we can educate people about the process, the more that they will understand the, the value in purchasing something that has had the time taken and then they can, you know, detox themselves from the cheap, you know, um, I don't know, 10 pound or whatnot, t-shirts or however much it costs, um, euros, you're in euros, um, in, in Ireland. But, but I think that it's a whole process, just like we're educating people as it comes with food that, you know, yeah, it's great to eat, you know, meat sometimes, you know, if you, if you want to, but if everybody in the world decides that they're going to eat meat three times a day, we're not going to have much of a world left for our kids. So, you know, I think that that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, I want to ask you um, what, well, first, before I forget, we're talking about your classes. Tell us a little bit more about your classes for those um, lucky folks that are over there in Ireland with you. Um, how can they be a part of a class or one of your retreats um, if they want to? Where can they find that information? So um, definitely keep an eye on my Instagram and on YouTube. But the best place to keep in contact with me um, is my newsletter on, on my website, which you can find at www.babblestravelingyarns.com. Um, I put out all the information there on new things that are happening um, on that mailing list. It's the easiest way to keep everyone <laughs> who is interested 
informed. Um, I am having a retreat in April and also in June, just for Woolen actually. And I have a couple of ideas for classes, but I haven't confirmed anything just as yet. Um, my my first class with with this is knit in Dublin um, when was a really really good success. Everyone had a great time. Um, it was a three hour class, which is a little bit of a short amount of time with weaving, um, but we did manage to cover everything. I was really delighted with the way it worked out, and wow. I'm hopefully having another class in March. I'm not going to give you exactly the time. You'll have to sign up to the newsletter because I need to confirm. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm, I hope that all of our listeners will go and sign up for Grace's newsletter. I'm not in Ireland. I'm not sure when I'll ever get over there, but I'm going to sign up anyway, just so I can see what she's doing. You never know. The world is small. Yes, you never know where we're all going to go. But Grace, before we before we let you go, I just want you to share a little bit of um, encouragement or insights to those who are listening who are maybe thinking about getting started on this weaving um, path what would you say to them um, as they're considering getting jumping into the weaving world I think a lot of people have a little bit of a of a they stop themselves even thinking about weaving because they see it as another craft another thing that they they don't want to get sucked into but I really see all of this it's all part of the same journey into fiber into creativity it's all to do with string isn't it you know I think that it's just another little step in in the adventure that is learning about all this stuff about gaining these skills and I think seeing it that way makes it a little bit less daunting and a little bit more ooh actually that's quite interesting and knowing that it is not that scary honestly <laughs> I do have a couple there's so many lovely resources online about how to warp up your loom also warping up your loom it takes about the same amount of time as casting on 400 stitches for a big long shawl so just remember <laughs> well it takes me about an hour and a half to cast on about 100 400 wow. stitches so just a little thing to remember it doesn't take as long as you think <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Well, Grace, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you, and I am so excited for all the things that you're doing, and we are definitely going to keep following you because we can see that there's only great things to come. Thank you so much for taking this time with us.